You are tuned in to 90.7 FM KALX Berkeley. My name is Tesla Munson, and this is The Graduates, the interview talk show where I speak with UC Berkeley graduate students about their work here on campus and around the world. Today, I'm joined by architect Valentina Krause from the Department of Architecture here at UC Berkeley. Welcome, Valentina. And thank you for having me, Tesla. Of course, of course. So a Department of Architecture is that exactly what I think it is? Or can you give us a little more information? Because I guess, do you guys just plan buildings? Is that what you do over there? Well, the architecture department, yes. But the PhD program I'm in is more focused on architectural history and some do architectural theory. But it's not practitioners. So most people who do follow the sort of PhD track are interested in doing research or teaching um, and writing and not necessarily building buildings. It's not a professional degree. So when you say the history of architecture, I mean, that could really go back to the beginning of of human time, right? Because we've been building things. We've probably been building shacks and shelters and so forth for a long time. So how do you guys go that far back? <laughs> um, it depends on, on who's teaching, but some people do. I think there's no... Um, sort of time limit or restriction in architectural history. There are people who work on the Renaissance. There are people who work on Egyptian architecture. But there are also people who work on contemporary architecture, which is my case. But there are some fields that have um, sort of historical boundaries, and I, w- I, w- I would say that at least at Berkeley that's not the case. So you are in contemporary architecture. What uh, period does that cover? So I'm interested in uh, memorials, and uh, most of these memorials are built for conflicts or issues that happen in the 20th century. So they're contemporary because I study them today, and part of what I study is the, the perception, how people interpret them today, but they refer to the past, so they're sort of tricky thing. They're contemporary, but they're also about the past. So when you say a memorial... Is that a specific thing? Or, I mean, I can think of like the Lincoln Memorial might Mm. be one people recognize or the World War II Memorial. So do they have to be like statues? What's what is the definition of a memorial? That's a really good question. Kind of like a dissertation question. I think I had in part I had to talk about that before my qualifying exams. But so this brings back like terrible memories. I'm sorry. (laughs) I didn't mean to do that, but it's in the past. It's in the past. Yeah. I think that's um, sort of open to debate. I think initially what or traditional memorials were more sort of um, considered monuments. So there were based on sculptures and statues and things like that. But I think after the Second World War, um, the definition of memorial has changed and expanded. So most people now would say that a monument is something different from a memorial, which could be more integrated to, I guess, the urban fabric of the city it's in. It could be more abstract. It could not necessarily have any figurative plaque or... Um, statue or anything but be a landscape or a park or um, and then the U.S. you also see a lot of buildings that are called memorial but are actually just sort of the name is memorial but the rest of it is like a hospital or whatever else. Oh yeah that's a good point and one thing I think of actually is are are those little crosses or flowers that you might see on the side of a road where someone has uh, been in an accident or passed away. And so that would count as a memorial. Yeah, people call that spontaneous memorials, although they're not really spontaneous because someone actually 
made an effort to make them, but they're not planned by an, by an architect like myself or a designer or anyone, just by the probably victims' families who want to remember the person who died. Did you see yourself in the past working on memorials? Is this a lifelong passion, or did this evolve out of your other architectural interests? It is not a lifelong passion, but um, it happened... I sort of stumbled upon it because as an architecture student, it was my last year of a professional program and I entered a competition um, to build a memorial with a couple of friends. And we ended up winning that competition and having to build a memorial uh, while also graduating, which was um, kind of because there was a loophole in the competition and they forgot to say that people had to um, be professional architects to, in, in order to build it. But w we became architects um, because it took a really long time to build it. But I think that experience of actually designing a memorial for a sort of group of uh, families' victims, this was in Chile, so it was a memorial um, to those lost or the victims of the military dictatorship. And of course, there were a lot of um, family members surviving and also some survivors who had a lot of I guess, their own artistic intentions and how they imagined the memorial. So it ended up being a really long, arduous project. And that made me think that there are more than just issues that have to do with design um, when it comes to memorial. And, and I wanted to sort of do research on that, investigate that. So when I started my master's program in Chile as well, I studied the National Stadium in Chile, which was used, um, it's a big, big uh, soccer stadium, and it was used as a prisoner's camp um, and sort of torture center also during the dictatorship. So my, my master's thesis was on that and how to memorialize that. Wow. Okay. That was a lot of information, all very interesting. So you did actually end up building a memorial in Chile then? Yes. What What city is it in? Santiago. It's in Santiago. And can you give us a visual description of what it looks like? It's pretty abstract. So the site, it's inside a cemetery, and it's a very important place of the cemetery because this is going to sound a little bit of a horror story, but um, that site was used um, to hide bodies of the victims of the dictatorship. But it was it became really important um, for the people struggling to sort of end the the crimes of the dictatorship because it was the first place where um, they had proof that people had been tortured and had and because before that everyone was the desaparecidos, so they were disappeared. But that when they found the first bodies, they started. Um, using that in legal efforts, like international law, to say that um, the government was actually doing this. So it became a sort of proof, a place that proved this, um, which everyone knew, but they needed sort of legal proof. And then since it was inside the cemetery, which is the biggest and sort of traditional cemetery of the city, it was sort of a guarded public space in the sense that uh, people couldn't gather, big groups couldn't gather in public space because it was occupied by the military, the entire city. But people were, it was safe enough to, to gather on this side in the cemetery. Um, so it became also a really important symbol of the struggle against the dictatorship. So the government um, opened up a competition to, to build something there. But it's basically a lot of, it looks like a rectangle of grass and very old crosses that have been there for the past 40 
for almost 50 years. So what the memorial does is to sort of frame that and, and not intervene the site itself because we encounter it in a really in a state of neglect. It looked like it was totally abandoned. So what we did is sort of frame it by a very sort of high abstract, I guess, architectural design so so that by contrast you would see that something important happened there and then it has uh, so it's basically like a a frame um and then we invited some of the victims families to contribute writings and poems or the names of the people they wanted to remember which are inscribed in in the memorial that sounds really nice and what about the stadium? What was what were the findings? You said it was a prison camp. What exactly were you were you trying to draw out of that project? So what I wanted this it was a prison camp in um, seventy three during the mili- the first few months of the military dictatorship, but it then it, it was returned and it it became the most important soccer stadium in in the city and in the country. And that's what it still is. So in part, what I wanted to think about is how um, how memory lives alongside these other types of everyday kind of uses. So how can we remember the military dictatorship in a soccer stadium in the middle of sort of celebrating and, and play and um, leisure? So that's what I was trying to find out. By the time I started the research, there was no mark or memorial inside um, the stadium remembering this, but when I finished, there was, because there was a group of memory activists who were planning a memorial. And so they did manage to get a memorial in the stadium that yes. you can see now. Yes, they actually managed to, to build five memorials um, in the stadium, around the stadium, and um, yeah. Excellent. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Graduates here on Calix. My name is Tesla, and today I'm joined by architect Valentina Krause from the Department of Architecture, and uh, she's telling us about her previous work in Chile, building memorials and studying sites of terrible atrocities, it sounds like. So what brought you here to Berkeley? Well, I would say it's um, many things, but um, I was when I was looking for graduate uh, programs, I wanted to find a good fit with an advisor. And my advisor here, Andy Shankin, works on memorials. And so he was one of the people here in the U.S. that I thought I could work with. and But I think there are also different sort of personal things that um, ended up sort of making me come here because I applied with my then partner, and now he's my husband, but we applied to different programs, but we ended up deciding where we both got in and sort of what where we both were happy enough, and I think it ended up being California. That's excellent. And so you knew you wanted to work on memorials when you got here. And can I ask, so I'm a scientist, so when we ask people, like, why they wanted to get a PhD, you know, there there are different answers. But for someone like you who has an architecture degree already, right, like you have the professional and the academic degrees and you have a master's, what was your goal in getting a PhD? What does a PhD get you besides more learning? Yeah. And in my field, it means that you can start a career in academia. And, and basically, I I want to do that because I want to get funds to do research. And that doesn't exist in architecture unless you have a PhD. Okay, so it's actually very similar to reasons why biologists might want to get a PhD, really? which is academia and research. Yeah. So um, <laughs> awesome. Okay, well, 
<laughs> then I know what I'm dealing with. <laughs> uh, so you wanted to work on memorials here in Berkeley. And can you give us a little summary of what you're working on for your dissertation here? Yes. So I'm working on three memorials, and um, or actually four memorials in three different cities. Um, the case study I'm working on right now here in the Bay Area is what used to be a temporary internment camp for Japanese-Americans starting in, in 42. It's in, in San Bruno right next to the airport. Um, that's where the, the temporary internment camp was. And now there's um, there are no really remains left of that camp there. It's a shopping mall. So, But there's a group of family activists who are trying to build a memorial there. Um, so I've been working with them to find, to sort of follow this process of a future memorial, which I think is quite interesting to me. So I'll be able to follow what they do and hopefully um, when the memorial gets built in, in a couple of years. And then um, I also have two case studies in Berlin. One is the topography of terror, which uh, used to be the Gestapo headquarters in the center of Berlin. And today it is a memorial, also sort of, it has a museum, it has archaeological excavations, which people can visit. It's a very complex site, um, but I'm really interested in it because it, it's a, quite a different memory, because it's a memory of the perpetrators. So it's different than remembering the victims of the Holocaust. In this case, you have to explain how the secret police worked and how they tortured and how they managed people and what sort of information systems they used. And there, this is a sort of funny um, adjacency to this memorial, but I, I actually stumbled across it because uh, two blocks away from the, that memorial uh, is a plaque to remember the Berlin Conference where Africa was divided in 1884 by different imperial sort of European countries. And that's when Germany entered the sort of imperial conquest of Africa. And and that's really close because the secret police um, headquarters and this other place where the meeting were held were, were actually the government quarter of, of Berlin at the time, which they're not anymore because the whole city was re reshaped. But so next to the sort of remembrance of the Holocaust, I'd like to think about the sort of imperial memory of Germany, which has been erased. And Germany occupied what they call Southwest Africa, which is now Namibia. And, and there was a sort of really genocidal empire. The very little time they, they occupied South Africa, killed um, millions of people and, and native Herero and Nama. So that is, is alongside, I think there's a sort of paradox in, in a city like Berlin that remembers so much about the Holocaust, but so little about um, these earlier genocides. Um, so I'm trying to look at that, and but but that is a sort of absence of memorial because nothing exists. Few group, a few people are trying to, I guess, think about it, but there's no actual memorial. And then the last case is in Buenos Aires, and it's a memorial that is an archaeological excavation, um, which is also permanent archaeological excavation. It's run by two f fabulous archaeologists. But people visited, and it's sort of in tension between the scientific part of um, an excavation and people actually wanting to go there and visit and spend time there. So I, I use that. I think that is a really interesting case to think about the sort of relationship between scientific endeavors and history and, and memory and people sort of wanting to use the places and gather there. 
So you could have just described four different dissertations to yes. me, right? <laughs> so what what are some of the unifying themes of these projects that are so, you know, disparate? Yeah, it's a really good question. And the unifying themes is um, I want to interpret memorials through sort of two lenses that are novel to the existing literature on memorials. One of them is to think about a memorial's as apologies. Um, so memorials have been studies, studied as places to remember, but not necessarily as places that play a role in apology. And apologies have been studied from the like linguistic and um, literature aspect, but not in terms of place. What if apologies are actually places, sites, concrete objects in the city? I'm looking at that. So in each of these cases, there are apologies involved. So the German... Germans apologizing for the Holocaust and the Germans wanting to apologize for uh, the genocide of the Nama and Herero and also Argentina trying th- this memorial is for, also for the victims of the military dictatorship and there's been apologies in that context and here as well um, in the context of redress and, and apology to Japanese American citizens. So that's one way of looking at it and then which means that memorials or these apologies are part of a sort of discourse and mean something more than just memory and have an effect on our contemporary lives, um, sort of a reparation too. And then I'm looking at memorials through the everyday, or I call that, which is to think about, okay, there's one intention behind designers like me when I design a memorial when you create it, but then there's a different way how people interpret it and also a different way how people, different ways that people use them. I always use an example, which is not part of my case studies, but the Holocaust Memorial in Berlin, people do all sorts of things that are not, that have nothing to do with memory. People go on dates there, people have sex there, people uh, meet to drink at night. And as, and I'm interested in that and how, how memorials in a way are also just part of public space and acquire different meanings for different groups of people. Yeah, In terms of that last point, I mean, I would think of the Oakland Cemetery here because that's a beautiful cemetery and a very, you know, populated place for running and dog walking and hanging out. I've definitely had a few picnics there, amazing views. So, but it's interesting that the juxtaposition next to, you know, yeah, memory really and all example, these yeah. dead people. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. And how did you get interested or how did you select these really geographically disparate places? I I would say that's part of my personal history in a way. I grew up in Berlin, so thinking about memories always in a way has to do with Berlin. And part of how I see how these places um, in different parts of the wor- world are connected are actually through the Holocaust. So the Holocaust becomes a really important narrative both in Argentina and here to compare the sort of crimes and 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 to compare everything to the sort of absolute crime of the Holocaust, but to to point out um, sort of abuses and violations of of human rights, so that sort of travels around these different sites. But then, the one here also is in part of me wanting to learn um, something about where I live and have have been living for the past um, three years. And the one in Buenos Aires is just, um, I came across it once I visited Buenos Aires. I'm not from Buenos Aires and I don't know it too well, but 
it's just fascinating to me how how that is a very w- rare case of a memorial having no design and no intention no intention of having it. And how do you do research uh, in this field, in architecture? Does this involve actually going to the memorials, or is it all book reading? It depends on what you want to do. I would say in my program, people do, there are people who do just archival work, and there are people who do almost just ethnography, so um, going to the sites and doing observation and interviews. I do a sort of combination of both. So it's really important for me to go to these places and have sort of personal experience with them and talk to the people who, the sort of users who are just hanging out there, but also people who manage them. But then there's also a lot of archival work behind them. So how how, how does how did this memorial become to to be what it is? And it's most of the case is not a sort of direct trajectory, but it went through a lot of different stages, and and that's something that um, the archives are really important for. And there must be some writing because you mentioned to me uh, before the show that you've actually written a book, like not not a dissertation, you know, which is hundreds of pages, but like a whole book. Can you tell us uh, what that's about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So it's it's sort of the book was based on what I'd written for my master's thesis on the National Stadium. So the book is about um, the National Stadium in Chile and about, I guess, in part, it's a sort of long history of the building. It, it has a part that talks about the building being part of one of the first public modern buildings in Chile, which meant a lot because it meant a new vision for the city and sort of a vision of society that was new, that was sort of facilitated or developed through this massive, massive stadium. Um, And then it follows the stadium from this like sort of original modernist utopia into being converted into um, a prisoner's camp and then into what it is today, which is a soccer stadium with a memorial or different pieces of memorials in it. And, And what's it called? What? The, the book? book? Yeah. <laughs> ni tan elefante ni tan blanco. Not an elephant, not too much elephant, not too white. Too white. Yeah, it's because in, it's part of the archival research. It was initially called a white elephant, which in a sort of Chilean jargon means that it is useless, that it is a gigantic useless thing because people, this was the most modern and biggest stadium in South America at the time. So people just thought, you are crazy. You built a really expensive, gigantic stadium that people were never going to fill. But then the inauguration was full. There were more than 80,000 people, more than what they actually had thought initially. So it was never really a white elephant. But Not so much elephant, not so much white. Okay. Uh, Well, as we approach the end of the show here, I always like to give people a chance to talk about some issues of public concern in their field if they have any. I don't know if there, I mean, it sounds like you know you you research memorials, so there must be at least a few issues uh, that are worth talking about to the public. Um, yes, I mean, I think it's a pretty uh, it's not necessarily a very scholarly topic in the sense that the people that I interact with or the the people who animate the stories that I tell are memorial activists or people who want to build a memorial or be part of it or visit it, and that has a lot of I guess, resonance in a wider public because it, it tells something about, um, I guess, society's needing 
objects or places for collective memory and to develop a community with a sense of past. And I think this is part of it. But what is interesting is that that sense of collective is not necessarily always just uh, scripted according to what the memorial wants people to, to script. So in the case of um, the Berlin memorials, yes, it's there to remember the Holocaust, but people also um, create new memories and, and because they use it in new and different ways. And you've used this term memory activist a few times during the interview. Can you tell us what that means? Yes, I should have at the beginning. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, it came up with that term. The, the, the literature and memorials uses different ways to describe these groups of people, but I call them memory activists, and they're every memorial or every most of the successful memorials have a group of um, just concerned citizens who support it and want to see it happen. And that's been the rule in all of the case studies that I know in Chile, Argentina, Germany, here. And and those are people who sometimes are academics, sometimes are related to the victims, sometimes have nothing to do with it, sometimes they're neighbors. Um, but for some reason, they're invested in that place and, and they sort of drive it. And that's why I call them memory activists. So that's a term you came up with? Yes. Oh, okay. I wasn't <laughs> sure if it was like, you know, I mean... You said it a few times. It sounded very academic to me. So you're just going to... Is that one in the book? Uh, it will. Uh, the future book, yeah. Yeah, the future book. book, no. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good one. Put it in there. Coin a term. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and do you have any advice for people who are interested in learning more about memorials or the act of remembering? Are there good resources for that sort of thing or key texts you would recommend? It's a really broad field. I would say it's also an interdisciplinary field, which is interesting. So there's a lot of literature and memory and psychology, um, memory and trauma, um, memory and the visual arts. um, And in my case, I'm more focused on memory and public space. And and there are quite a lot of um, interesting books about it. I would say a classic to start is Pierre Nora, um, Places of Memory, which is a French author um, who sort of coined that term, Places of Memory. And that's a starting point for most of the literature on memory. So I think it's interesting to start there. I also think that um, Paul Ricoeur, a French uh, philosopher or philosopher of history, is is really interesting. He has a book called Memory, History, and Forgetting, which is quite long, but really interesting because he, he deals with forgetting alongside memory. And are there any memorials here in the Bay that you find to be particularly interesting or that you like to go and look at? Any memorials you'd recommend to other people? I think the AIDS Memorial in Golden Gate Park is quite interesting. It's a sort of a, it's a landscape piece of the park, but the the history behind it is interesting, and in that it 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 is placed here and was one of the first memorials, was to remember I guess um, the AIDS crisis is is quite important. Yeah, I think that's all I can think about. We could probably consider Alcatraz to be a memorial too, right? Or is, where is the line between like a historical building? And a memorial. I guess that's another Qualls question that I won't leave you that at the end. I do want to ask, is there anything, uh, are there any last words about your dissertation? Any uh, last, you know, key findings you want to make sure we heard before we sign off here? 
Not really, because I'm I'm I just started my research, so I don't have any concluding remarks on how how what I found. I mean, I think I'm really in the middle of it, so in the middle of it, so I have no any perspective on on what I'm going to learn from it. Well, you <laughs> you've said many interesting things, so if this is in the middle of it, then I look forward to seeing <laughs> what the the completed product brings us. But. Uh, it's been excellent having you here today. And today on The Graduates, we have been speaking with architect Valentina Krause from the Department of Architecture, talking about her work here at Berkeley on memorials in Berlin and Buenos Aires and here in the Bay. And it's all sorts of things about them, not just their history and how they're created, but how people interact with them and how people actually remember while they're there. And uh, she also told us about her work in Chile uh, during your bachelor's and your master's, right? And uh, the memorial that you designed there in Santiago Cemetery. I might have to check that out if <laughs> I'm down in Santiago. Uh, but it's been great having you on the show. And again, you've been listening to The Graduates here on KLX 90.7 FM. My name is Tesla Munson, and we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. So stay tuned. You're listening to KALX Berkeley. <laughs>